You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and all my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me. Hi, everybody. It's Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to Little Me Growing Up Broadway. My guest today is best known for her work on Broadway, originated the role of Katie Heron in the 2018 Tony-nominated musical Mean Girls, for which she received an Outer Critics Circle Award nomination. She made her Broadway debut as Fontaine. I almost just said Fontaine. What's wrong with me? <laughs> Did you say Fontaine? Or I was Fontaine? about to say Fontaine. Wait, I want to pick up right from there because it's so funny. She made her Broadway debut as Fontaine in the revival of Les Miserables and starred as Beth in the musical Diner with music and lyrics by Cheryl Crow. She played Kim in the New York Philharmonic Showboat concert on PBS. Her other theater credits include Penny and Hairspray, Carrie and Carousel, Roxy in Chicago, which I watched this morning on YouTube. No, Nelly, you did not. I did. Nelly in South Pacific, Becca and Found, Nina in Dear World, Sophie and Mamma Mia. And recently she made you pee in your pants in Girls 5 Eva on Peacock. Please welcome my dear friend, Erica Henningsen. Hi, Mark. I cannot believe you found footage of oh, it's just, it's the just Wagon Wheel Chicago. Oh, no. <laughs> that thing's going to get so many views now. It's amazing. <laughs> um, okay. So I also used to be a perfectionist about this, and I would have done that intro like three times over, but I think this is what this is becoming. Um, this is real. This is the real take. Okay. Now, you were not a child star, correct? I was not a child star. I mean, to my parents, I was. <laughs> but I was not. <laughs> so to the billions of people listening right now, you're wondering, why is Erica doing the Little Me podcast? Well, I am expanding the vision of this year's podcast so that I will still be talking to former Messed Up Child stars, but I will also be talking to people I love about what they were doing as theater-obsessed Broadway kids. So, so to currently messed up adult stars. <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. So I'm so thrilled you're here. Before we go back to the beginning, I want to talk about this very exciting thing that's coming up for you. At, you've taken the cabaret world by storm after your sold out residency at the Green Room 42 this past spring and summer. And now you're bringing a brand new solo show to Chelsea Table and Stage, which is a gorgeous venue um, on Sunday, September 19th. So what can you tell us about the new show, Erica? The new show. I'm so excited. Well, the new show is essentially trying to tie together the three worlds of music that I grew up with, the standards of my grandparents, the 70s rock of my father, and then this new world I've been introduced to via Mean Girls, which is the Gen Z pop world. Um, so I think there's going to be a little bit of music for everybody and then some stories. And, you know, the title is a bit still in flux, but as of now, we're calling it Raise Your Standards. Uh, so you're going to obviously hear some standards and then it's going to kind of take off from there. Well, so, this is very exciting. Who's musical directing the show? Mary Mitchell Campbell is musical directing the show. Oh, um, what a legend. And can I plug you as well? Because the only reason yes, that we yes. had such success at the Green Room 42 concerts was because you, Mark Tuminelli, have been my director. And I'm so oh excited God, to what? reunite with you for this. What a dream. Well, I'm really excited about it too. You're brilliant on stage. Your voice is ridiculous, but you're also like the funniest little storyteller. And you seem like you're having the best time when you're doing this kind of solo show work. And yes. it's like a little bit infectious. So uh, what have you found sort of doing this cabaret after doing so many years on Broadway, kind of having yeah. this kind of freedom? 
I think the reason I wanted to do it was I obviously I think we all missed live theater this year, but I missed the most the the singing of it. I didn't necessarily miss playing a character because I feel like I've played a character for so long. I was excited to just introduce myself. And I think the thing that I've found the most is that I have many different sides to my personality. And I think for a while I was kind of only putting forth one, especially when I was doing a show because it was just, I am the actor who is fun and easy to work with. And that is certainly the case, but I have a bunch of other weird idiosyncrasies that have been in the context of an hour long cabaret where it's just me, those things get to come out for, for better or for worse, for better for me. I'm sure sometimes the audience is like, Oh, this girl's a whack job. No, they like love it. We had so many students at Broadway workshop who had seen the green room show and they were just like, that was like the best night. It's also like a really fun night out because you're having a good time and we're having a good time on stage. It's it's you're, you're brilliant. So I'm excited about this new show at Chelsea table and stage, which I've actually never even been to. Have you done it? there? It's a new, it's a new, new ish venue. And what's fun is that on obviously for throughout most of the week, it's like instrumentalists and jazz musicians, um, and pop singers. So you never know, maybe I'll throw some of that in there. So on Sunday nights, it's the Broadway guest artists and I'm going in on September 19th with Mary Mitchell Campbell and we'll be there for, you know, an hour, 75 minutes. Who knows? Maybe I'll talk a maybe lot. Three hours. Maybe. I'm, I'll also be there if you're looking to meet me. Um, you can you go will to, be, ooh. you're singing in it. Are you ready? No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> okay. So you can go to chelseatableandstage.com to get your tickets for this new show. And so we, we can't wait to see it. It's going to be so great. Um, it's also a big room. So come on out friends. Yeah. I think it's like 250 seats. It's kind of one of the bigger cabaret venues that I've gotten to do. So let's hope it's good. This will segue nicely going back to talk about your youth because you're touching down on a lot of the music that you loved as a kid. Tell me how you were first exposed to the sort of musical theater at Broadway. How did this world come to you? Yes. It was all through my grandparents, specifically my grandmother, because she shared all the sort of Judy Garland classics, uh, Meet Me in St. Louis, obviously Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Uh, Judy also had at that point, I think she had done one concert at Carnegie Hall that was taped. And so she shared that with me. And then it was sort of the MGM R&H movies, uh, Oklahoma, Brigadoon. And I feel like that was the first, that was the first musical taste that I ever formed. Obviously it came to me through my grandparents, but it was the first thing that I watched going, oh, I like this. I individually like this, not just, I like this because uh, my family likes this and I'm just jumping on board. It was something that she and I shared together. And then ultimately I shared with my mom, um, going back to like the black and white, um, Fred and Ginger movies as well. So it was kind of the first jumping off point for my musical lineage. What was your favorite thing? Like what thing did you want to watch over and over again? I watched Wizard of Oz over and over again. I really loved, I loved Meet Me in St. Louis, but specifically I would rewatch The Boy Next Door that song just over You just wanted and over to be again. longing for something at, <laughs> at eight or seven years old. At eight 
or seven years old. Like, I don't actually remember what happens at the end of Meet Me in St. Louis, but I remember that. It all works out, I think. <laughs> I think it, think it probably all works out. Um, and then, of course, we've talked about this. I was really obsessed. This is where it kind of took a, a turn, was I was really obsessed with the um, Joseph starring Donny Osmond, which was, that was when I started to get into musical theater just in any format whatsoever. Like, the recording of Company was something I loved when I was a teenager, that cast recording that they did. Um, the documentary of that. So it, it kind of extrapolated from there. (laughs) Okay. Tell me about the turkey shot out of the oven. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Where did you find that? It's on your Wikipedia page. No, it's not. I I don't know who's in charge of Wikipedia, but it is very helpful when you're doing a podcast. (laughs) That is so funny. Okay. I can literally recite the entire monologue poem for you there right now. Um, it's a Shel Silverstein poem, I think. And I did it in my first acting class ever was like a summer camp program. And I had done sports until I was seven. And then I think my mom just kind of realized none of those were really sticking. (laughs) So (laughs) they started putting me into, um, summer classes, like theater classes. And I had this incredible teacher, Janley Marshall, who truly, I mean, when I think of your students, Mark, that you've had, it's like, she did for me what you do for those students, where it's just like, she just made it so, uh, just everybody was there to express and have fun, but she also treated you like an adult and it didn't feel like you were going to like kids, like kids stuff. It really felt like, oh no, I'm going to make you learn and you're going to, have an opinion on this craft, but obviously at age eight, I was brand new. And so I got this monologue, the turkey shot out of the oven and ricocheted it. I can do it for you right now. If you All right, want let's it. do it. Okay. I will do as much as I can. Okay. The turkey shot out of the oven and ricocheted into the air. It partly demolished a table and almost overturned a chair. It ricocheted into the corner and burst with a deafening boom, then scattered all over the kitchen, completely obscuring the room. There was turkey on the walls and the windows and even coated the floor. There was even turkey on the ceiling where there'd never been turkey before. Uh, <laughs> we'll take it. Thank we'll you. take it. <laughs> We'd like to see you at three to dance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, okay. So you did the turkey shot out of the oven in summer camp or yes. whatever that was. And, uh, <laughs> first taste. It was just the first taste of making people laugh. I don't even remember if they were laughing at the, the you think monologue. you were laughing at the text? I or? don't. That, I think they were probably laughing at me for like how into it I was. But it was just the first. It was the first time I had ever been on a stage alone saying something that was entertaining in some regard. When were you first like in a stage musical where you were like you know and had an overture or something? I did. That wasn't a school play because I did school plays. Well, we'll take the school play. What was we'll the first school play? play? The first school play was Oliver, and I was Oliver. Oh, the titular character. <laughs> the titular character. I played a lot of young boys um, up until I was 15. <laughs> and um, the titular character. First of all, though, Oliver's like not the most fun. I don't think no. people realize that until you're playing Oliver and realize it's way more fun to be the Artful Dodger or Fagin. Yeah. Um, As a person that was- who spent a lot of their career playing the Artful Dodger, <gasps> oh. I can tell you- 
I mean, not off he does and some. Like I did it so many times, Erica. That Wait, was my whole. You would have been. Should we do great. an adult version of Oliver? No, because it's so long. It's three hours long. It's the and then longest. there's like you know what you forget about Oliver that there's like the widow Corny and like all these other characters, Mister Bumble, where you're like, oh my god, and Ugh. that's why the audience loves Dodger so much is because he comes in 40 minutes into the show and changes. It makes it fun for the next half hour, and exactly. so everyone loves him. It's so fun to do that. And you don't have to get ready until the play's already been going on for 20 minutes before you have to get dressed. It's a dream. Dreams. I've never been in a show like that. I'm it's always wonderful. the person who has to be ready to go right at the top. Christian Borle used to say that all the time about Legally Blonde was like the best job because he didn't have to get ready <laughs> until 20 minutes in or whatever it was. And he had all this time to watch movies. Oh, dreams to okay. watch movies. So back to Oliver. So you played Oliver. So obviously someone was like, this girl can sing. Yeah, I think it was, I think the thing that was available to me when I was younger was, um, should I pause for these church bells that are about to go off? No, I think it's really, I think it really sets the ambiance. Okay, great. I live I, in a church. She <laughs> lives in a convent. She's. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing a sound and music movie and I'm going really method. Um, I, I, I was in choir. So that was kind of the thing that was available to me. And, um. <laughs> I can't believe Joseph just has like a through line in life because I've never told you this, but like I was in the San Francisco girls chorus, which was kind of how I started to learn how to sing, which is how I started to learn how to be on pitch. And they had us sing an audition song for that. And like these girls knew we were in choir. So they were going to audition with like choir songs and Italian arias or just art songs. And I didn't really understand that because I didn't listen to that music. So I came in with a flash of drums, a crash of light, my golden coat flew out of sight and like sang the entirety of that song for my choir audition. Um, but that was like the first moment that I realized, oh, there's a place to sing. I can sing and I should. And I liked doing it. I didn't, I, I was not like, um, and I guess this is maybe the difference between a lot of the guests you've had. I was not like a Broadway kid. I didn't have those aspirations. I just had the hobbies that I started to do after school were more and more geared towards performing and singing and choir and dance class. And what were you doing like your, when you were in high school, did you do your high school musicals like every year? Yeah. And that was basically it. The first, I did my high school musicals every year. There was a- What were they? I'm always fat. It's my favorite <laughs> question. Um, well, freshman year, it was Hello Dolly. And I was a freshman. So I was, you know, in the ensemble, which is Amazing. And then sophomore year was Oklahoma. I don't think I did that one for some reason. I think I was like trying to become a swimmer again and it didn't go so well. So I was swimming that year. And then I did drowning. Go ahead. <laughs> and by swimming, I mean drowning. Um, but really though, I was like in the last heat where there was like only one other person with me. And I was like, I should not be doing this anymore. Um, Okay, wait, so Oklahoma. And then my junior year was, that was like the thing that changed everything. I did Beauty and the Beast and I got to be Belle. And then my senior year, we did Titanic, which was kind of funky. And I played um, Kate. No, that's what I thought I was going to play. The other person, um, Alice like, Bean. Oh yeah, <laughs> who sings like the that's really big exactly second wife. Yeah, only. yeah. And then she has a really fun song at the top of Act Two. I just can't remember it. It's like I mean, there's not that many fun things that are happening. Oh, because she goes into dressing your pajamas in the grand salon, and then she comes in. Yeah, what's and she's the song? So excited, but it's not really a song. Yeah, it's more like a dance number that she's kind of yelling throughout. It, yes. it, it reminds me a lot of like the revolutionary costume of today from Grey Gardens, where it's like this one like <laughs> moment <number> of levity <laughs> as the entire boat, everyone's going to die. Exactly. Listen, exactly. Just uh, 1,500 people are about to die. But it's no, 
I do, I do love Titanic. But keep dancing. But keep <laughs> dancing until the last moment. Okay. So you got to do these two shows. And then was there a conversation with your parents? Like, this is what I'm going to do. And were they supportive, not supportive? Like, how did you make the decision that you would go to college for musical theater? Having yeah. not really been like a kid who was like wildly obsessed, meaning that you went from one production of Annie to the next. Oh, right. Correct. Um, I think it was when I figured out that there even was college musical theater programs is when I kind of thought like, oh, I, that's, that's what you, I shouldn't say that's what you do, but for me, it made sense. Cause I thought, I don't understand how you get from being in your high school musicals to being on Broadway. I didn't understand like, well, how do you bridge that gap? And I had sort of a, a older friend and a mentor, my friend, Laura Reed growing up, who was like in all these community theater productions with me. She went to a high school nearby. We just kind of grew up together and she was two years older and she went to University of Michigan for musical theater um, before I did. And that was sort of my first portal into the idea of like, oh, there's a place that is going to teach me how to do this at a professional level, not just a hobby level. And I think what happened with my parents was I essentially kind of made a deal with them where I said like, I have three schools I really, really want to go to. I'd be happy going to any of them. If I don't get into any of them, I'll go to, I think at that point I had heard back from Boston College um, where I had like applied really early to Boston College. And I said, I'll go there for liberal arts. Like I'll do something else. And I think they I mean, I think they would have supported any choice, but that was kind of the limit that I put on myself, which was, I, I know I really want to do this. So I want to go somewhere that's going to take it really, really seriously. And, um, where I had done a lot of research on these places already. And that was sort of the, the turning point was honestly that junior year high school production realizing like, oh, I can do this and I should do this. And then tying it together with the idea of college being the next step, which is not the next step for everybody, but it was. And you me. knew a lot about musicals, partly because your mother, CD Binder, um, oh my which gosh. we do talk about in your solo show, but tell yes, the people, do. tell your, tell the people about your mother's <laughs> CD Binder. Oh my gosh. Okay. You could basically like, I feel like this seed, it sounds like we're saying CD, like, like, oh, um, no. salacious. Uh, <laughs> Compact disc binder. Binder, yeah. Those things that you would like stick into like a boom box or a Walkman or a Discman, whatever it's called. In your car? In your car. And that's where we had it. We had it in our car. It's like the size. It's literally like the size of a, it weighs about 15 pounds. I kid you not. You could like do like light Peloton exercises with it. Um, And it's basically this alphabetized binder that my mom started creating of every single musical theater cast album that she liked or she thought I would like. So it started, it like started with Annie. And then I remember the last one was Zorba. We never really listened to Zorba because like, really got to Zorba. not a ton of good chestnuts on that. There is, and, there uh, is, trust me. Is there? Well, there is. Give it a listen. I'll, I'll pull it out. I'll pull it out. I have it here. And um, my, I mean, when you grow up in California, you drive everywhere. I grew up um, outside San Francisco and I was driving into San Francisco for dance classes and voice lessons. So we were in the car sometimes for like two hours a day between getting to school and then going to whatever extracurricular activity I had. And that's when my mom started creating this binder and we would listen to literally every single musical. She really loves Jacques, Jacques Brel. Jacques is Brel? Al- is alive, alive and, and living well. in Paris? Because that was the musical she did or she did in high school. And then she also loved You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown because she played Lucy. Um, 
which is kind of like all I know about my mom's high school musical <laughs> theater career. But those were two that we listened to a ton. And then we started filling it in with, you know, the more cutting edge things like Wicked. Ooh, wicked, wicked. Okay. So you get into the University of Michigan, which is a very actually difficult school to get into for musical theater. Yeah. So bravo. Um, and Thank obviously you. it seems like you had a pretty incredible experience there and it yeah. really kind of prepped you for your career and also made connections for you to really kind of get it started. What would you say was like the biggest takeaway of your four years there? Because I want to obviously talk about mm. you putting it all to, to actual good use after it, but yeah. You mean my takeaway is like a student artist? Yeah, as a student, yeah. like what did, what did that program give you that you think maybe another program wouldn't have, or how were you super prepared to like go out and do this career? Yeah. I honestly think it gave me a work ethic. Like I, um, and, and this is why I, I don't always think college is for everybody, but for me, it gave me sort of a container to figure out how do you do this at a professional level? And the answer for me or the one that, that they provided was like, a ton of research and a ton of, um, curiosity about the field in general. I feel like sometimes I think there is a beautiful emphasis being placed now on sort of like the individual and like, what do you bring to it? And just kind of go in there and do your thing. And Michigan provided a lot of structure and like, there's a history here that you need to know and respect in order to figure out how to do it. It's like the same way doctors have to go to med school and have their, um, uh, residencies in every single facet of medicine before they have their specific practice. And so that's what I liked about it. It's like, I felt like I walked away knowing how I would audition for singing in the rain and then how I would audition for something like jagged little pill. Um, because they, they made sure that you understood where musical theater came from and where it was ultimately going and how they're both intrinsically linked. Um, and they just made you work. I like they made you be students of the craft, not just talented people who happened to do it. Now, when you, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. When you go to school with a level of people who are equally obsessed and have worked really hard and obviously at the top of their high school program or whatever, because it's really the best of the best. I imagine that there's a lot of stress being around how many kids were in your class. Uh, 24. So 24 kids that all want it as much as you do and yeah. all have the drive and are all doing that, mostly doing the amount of work. You mm -hmm. know, I imagine that that's like a weird place to cook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A very weird place to cook. It's a weird place to cook because they also are your best friends. So it's like this weird thing where you're like, I am going into class with people I really love and care for. And then also grappling with this feeling of comparison because how could you not? These really talented people are right next to you. And also the thing that was so clear to me is that everybody grows differently. It's like there were classmates I had who freshman and sophomore year, you were kind of like, I, I don't know if they're like not getting it or they're not moving forward. And then junior year, they just exploded. And that might've been the time that I was getting stuck in kind of doing one thing the same way over and over. And it took me to get over that hump. So that was the thing that in hindsight I get now, like everybody grows at a different rate. But at the time, if you were in a place of, um, you know, maybe your voice was changing or adapting or adjusting to a new sound, like an adult sound, or if you were a dancer, maybe you were not picking up on things as quickly as you were right when you entered. So that was interesting to watch. It's like, I feel like I went in and out of waves of feeling like I'm on top of the world. I'm nailing this. I'm getting it. And then moments where inevitably you're, you're growing at a slower rate or it feels slower in comparison to other people. 
but it's just because we're all on sort of different wavelengths throughout those four years. And then obviously as <laughs> when you graduate, that's the same, same thing happens. Um, so let's talk about you graduating. What was the first big job you booked? Um, the first big job I booked was, was, this is the first one. Yeah. Thank you, Craig Burns. If I don't know, does Craig Burns listen to this? He cast me. I think he might actually. I think he might. I hope I'll tell him to listen to this one. He cast me in, um, the New York Philharmonic was doing a, uh, orchestrated live performance of Showboat in its entirety, which like I, the last time Showboat was done in its entirety was, I don't know, the fifties. Okay. I have no idea. Um, at least in New York. And it was, there's a, a part, the main character has a daughter. She doesn't really come out to the end. This was the only time that I had the Christian Borrell track. I didn't come on <laughs> until literally it's a three hour show. I came in at two and a half. <laughs> and, um, I sang this like one really fun song and got to dance with two of the most incredible dancers to this day. I'm so happy I did that when I was 21, because I think I was afraid of nothing at that age, but now it would terrify me to dance with the two gentlemen that I got to dance with on the, uh, symphonic stage with the New York Phil. And, um, that was my first big job. And it's also how I got my equity card, which I showed up on the first day. And they said, if you're not equity, you need to leave the room. And I literally, in this large cast, I was so young. I was the only non-equity member and I walked out and they said, okay, great. You have to fill out this page right now and you're going to join the union today. And that is not how it happens for a lot of people. (laughs) And I'm just like, I'm so lucky. And I don't know if I've ever said this to Craig Burns and it's like, I got my equity card doing that, doing this concert production. Yeah. Most of us get it like making $200 a week at a theater. Exactly. Exactly. And it's just like, it's so insane. (laughs) There you go. I thought I was going to get mine doing all those wagon wheel shows, but I never got enough points. Points. Well, now you just have to show up and say, I'd like to be, I'd like to try. And then they, um, I used to know, I'd like to try. I'm going to tell you a funny quick story. I, I want to hear it. I used to work at the Lion King as we know. And yep. I part of that wasn't part of my job, but I used to walk CD La Loca home after the show. She's the original Rafiki. Stop. And one night she looked at the rent marquee and went rent. I like to try. She wanted to try to be in rent. Oh I God, love I loved that. her. And then we'd stop rent. and get microwave popcorn and I drop her off at her apartment at the Camelot. And I did that every night for like a year. Dream um, of dreams. Was dream that dreams. your like survival? Like, I wish I had worked. I worked in a gym for my survival job. I didn't work in anything like artistic. Yeah, I ushered on Broadway for a long uh, time. And it, I, I just said Lion that. King. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a trip. It actually was so fun at the beginning. And mm-hmm. then at one night I had a nervous breakdown when the elephant was coming down the aisle. I just started crying and I went down to my boss's office. I was like, I can't watch this anymore. Um, <laughs> I have to go home. Not like I can't usher. It's like, I literally just can't I watch can't Lion King watch anymore. this show anymore. <laughs> I have to go. Um, I have to go home. Because Disney makes you watch. You have to stand in the back like you're in the army with a flashlight and um, you have you to really serious? watch the Lion King. It's like some sort of weird torture. Wow. Um, but it was cool. I mean, whatever. Okay. Um, so, Back to you. So oh gosh, Showboat also filmed for television. I mean, that's a very cool thing. Another my, cool my thing. first job on the television. <laughs> I know. And I'm so happy. That's what I mean by it's like, I, I really admire these young people who come out because like, because I felt it too. I was so fearless. I didn't know what to be afraid of. Like it didn't occur to me that like, <laughs> this is going live on PBS. So if you F this up, like it will be on video forever. I just didn't, I'm sure in the back of my head, I knew that, but I didn't understand what a big deal that could be because I was so young. So I just kind of dove in head first. 
Um, and it's very cool. I watched it. It was like, I mean, I watched your <laughs> part. I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, I don't have three and a half hours. All I was right. going to say. <laughs> Speaking of three and a half hours, you made your oh! Broadway debut in Les Miserables. Um, I did. How long after um, uh, that first big job of getting to do, because it wasn't that long after doing Showboat, what kind of was yeah. happening for you? What was happening? Um, you're going to hear my convent bells. It's um, 11 a.m., so it's going to be 11 of them. So just enjoy counting that. Um, okay. So I did showboat. I got to do, um, a show out of town. I got to do diner out of town and that was the first time so that I got This is the beginning to... of the diner. Yes. Long era. story about diner. Yes. So we'll talk about diner before we go to Lamez. So okay. you get, you book a uh, diner, which is Cheryl Crow is writing uh, the musical version of this movie. And yes. it just seems like this is a, this is a no way that this is not coming to Broadway. Yeah. Directed by like, Kathleen Marshall. Kathleen Marshall, who is a gem. Um, Barry Levinson, was, who was the original screenwriter, was still involved in sort of the libretto of it. And it had, you know, like amazing people. We had like Matthew James Thomas. Derek Klenow was in that. Um, Bryn O'Malley and Whitney Basher uh, were, were two of the leading women in various permutations. So it was just like dream of dreams, these incredible people. And a really fun show, I thought. And then of course, you know, as is always the case that happens with an out-of-town show, we think it's amazing. And in a way, it, it was very special. And to this day, like the music, I just want Cheryl Crow to record the music because it's so good. But it, it, it didn't land for the audience in terms of maybe the story. I, I'm not sure if it was a, a sign of the times. It was a story from the fifties and it was kind of nostalgic in a way that was beautiful, but was, would really be right for people of that era. Um, and trying to update it made it something that it wasn't. And I think that was sort of the problem. And I find that's the problem with a lot of these movies from that era. They were created in a specific time. So to update them, you're not doing the story that made it so successful. Mm -hmm. And then people are, they can sense that discord if they're a, a young audience member and then if they're an older audience member who loved the original, they're disappointed because you've messed with their memory and you've messed with their nostalgia. Um, and which is why to me, the music of it is so beautiful and should be heard. And, but the overarching nugget, I think didn't quite land the mark because it was trying to be something that it just couldn't. It was, did it a, feel heartbreaking to you that that didn't have a bigger life or that you didn't get to do it in New York? Yeah, it it's heartbreaking. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I think actors are so used to that. So like my heart breaks more for the people who really brought it. I mean, the actors, of course, brought it to life, but we move on to something else. Like I really do my heart breaks for Cheryl Crow because I just think, you know, Barry Levinson had written this movie um, a while ago. So he like- it, it, He was detached yeah, in some way. Exactly. And, and she had been living in it. Writing exactly. it, creating and it. she had been yeah. writing it, creating it. Um, and it was like her baby and she did such a beautiful job in a way that I don't think people expected her to do. Like it doesn't sound like Cheryl Crow's music. She wrote something that was so iconically, um, fifties. Like it sounds right for the era. It doesn't sound like, Whoa, this is a period piece. And now hear Cheryl Crow's voice. She wrote for these characters in a way that I don't, I don't think a lot of pop writers do on Broadway. It's like she found the sound for an ensemble cast of, I mean, there were like eight leads. So my heart breaks for that, but it, it was kind of the first lesson for me and I'm so happy I had it. Like if it all, if it had all gone swimmingly, you know, I think it would have been such a shocking reality for me down the road when things inevitably don't work out like that. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my first 
exposure to it. And it was my second, my second job. And then well, I didn't hopefully work Hopefully it'll for, come back around in some. I hope so. I, I truly think I just want to do, maybe I'll just like write somebody and be like, yo, we have to host this, this concert. We need to do this. I'm right, saying well, it here first. <laughs> all right. Ooh, breaking news. Dun, 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 dun. All right. Lame is your first Broadway show. This is a pretty yes. big deal. So this was the last revival of Lame is Casey yes. Levy was leaving. She was about to give birth. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. She's like very pregnant and a lot of that, which is I know. actually kind of not a, not a terrible thing. And not a terrible thing. A little scary though, because it's like you get tossed around. I mean, yeah, I got really beat up. I'm All right, sure. Well, tell me about auditioning. Cause the show that you yes. not think a 20, how old were you at this point? 23, 22. 23. Mm-hmm. So 23 year old is not normally playing Fontaine. No, correct. Correct. So, um, when you first had that audition appointment where you're like, is this, I'm, I'm probably more of an Eponine Cosette maybe. Yeah. I think I reached out to sort of my mentor at the time who worked in casting and I was like, um, I got the audition when I was down in DC doing diner and it would have meant coming up on my day off to audition. And I think I was already so overwhelmed with putting up a new show and being as young as I was. And I just thought, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I'm right for this. I don't know if I should go in for Fontaine. It just feels like such a pipe dream. And she basically said, like, they wouldn't call you in if they didn't think you could do it. And at that point, I had already auditioned for Cosette. And I thought that was the role that I was maybe more right for. And I didn't get called back. So it was this moment where I thought, like, just trust. Just you wouldn't be there if you didn't, if they didn't think you could in some capacity do this. And they've already seen you perform one thing and decided it wasn't it. So I took a train in, um, <laughs> we're going to get honest on this. I was like in the midst of like such a tumultuous, like love heartbreak moment whilst doing that show in DC. And I came up on my day off and like was by myself in the city and it was pouring down rain and I had like five hours of sleep to catch my train. And then I went in that way to do Les Mis, which is probably perfect. And I like perfect. sang about this person that I was feeling heartbroken over and was looked just a sight, um, straight from the Penn station swamp. Um, and that was my audition. And I sang it once. And then I went outside and they said, can you come back later this afternoon? We just want to film you singing it because they were going to send that to Cameron McIntosh. So my callback was that was the same day. So I came back, I did it. Um, and fun fact, two fun facts, actually, Les Mis Fontaine was the last role I did in college. I was, um, in, our college spring production of Les Mis. I got to play Fontaine. So that was like this moment where I was like, this is crazy. And then the second thing was at that point, I knew that Ramin Karamloo was going to be uh, Jean Valjean still in the, he was still, he was staying, staying even as other yeah. people were leaving. And he was one of the first people I checked into the Columbus Circle Equinox that I worked at. Your survival job. <laughs> My survival job. So it really was this moment where I was like, this would be so full circle in many ways if I got this. Um, and I came back, I taped for Cameron. I went back to DC. I finished out the run of Diner and on like a beautiful snowstorm day in December, I got the call eventually that I was going to be playing it, making my Broadway Oh my God, I'm sure. Who'd you call for? Who's the first person you called? My mom. I definitely called my mom first. And then I called my sisters and then I walked to the theater because I lived in Midtown at that time. So then I walked to the Imperial. 
You're like, oh, this is what I'm going here. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to there. Um, I'm going you, to go to there. What do you remember about your uh, first opening night performance on Broadway? Literally nothing. I blacked okay. out. Yes. <laughs> I, I really don't Everybody who's anything. ever done Les Mis really does black out because there's so much to think about. Oh, there's no yes. turntable in this one, but... There's no um, turntable, but like, it's just, it's so big. It's like, yeah. again, it's this thing where I'm like, I don't think I understood how big, I was obviously so grateful and excited to be there, but I don't think I understood how big of a thing I was joining. And I think if I had, I would have ne- not left my dressing room. I would have been paralyzed because <laughs> it's just insane what that show is and means to people. And also, I mean, Fontaine is the best track a little bit. It's the opposite because you can yes. knock it all out at the top and then just kind of have fun for the rest of the night. You get her done. Yeah, uh, you get her done. Yes. There's some interview, I think it's like with Richie Ridge of our opening night or like that cast opening night party. And like, I'm not blinking. My eyes are like <laughs> wide open. Like I look fully deranged because I just think it was so much stimulation and dreams coming true happening at once in this like, never before imagined way. I never thought that that would be my Broadway debut. It's just like, I still don't quite, it feels like a different person when I think about it because it's just so bizarre. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Now, how do you at 23 make your Fontaine different than Casey's or Randy Graff on the album or mm. any of the women who've done it and it's been filmed? Um, how, did, how did you even think about that? Well, I'm happy you asked that because I don't think I did. And I think that's why I would love to do it again. Okay, great. (laughs) Because at age 23, feeling so young and not, not, not quite trusting myself yet, but not even being aware that I was doing that. Like, I just think I did like a hybrid version of, um, I mimicked other people's. Like I created something that didn't quite come from me. It came from me emotionally, but in terms of what it sounded like, I think I was trying to replicate things I had heard on cast albums and in live studio concert versions of it. Um, and that's, you know, that was such a big learning tool. Cause I remember we had one rehearsal with Cameron at one point, like three months into the run. And he called us all in to sing our songs for him. And he kind of stopped me halfway through and he was like, well, what is, what's your voice? Like, can you just sing something you like for me? And it was really, and at the time I really didn't understand I think I panicked and I didn't quite understand what he meant, but I see now what he was getting at where he was like, I, you are a good singer, but I want to hear you sing. I don't want to hear your idea of what Fontaine sounds like. Um, and I hope to, you know, do that role again one day. Cause I think I've, I think it was just for what I, what my age was at the time, I'm proud of it. But looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, I, I did not trust myself as much as I 
should have to create my own version. But I think it's pretty incredible to just even do it at that age and, Ex- exactly. and do it and do it well. And to do and, it. Yeah. yeah. I just think I'm like, I'm so proud of that version and that young person who did it. Um, and it's really, it's one of those things where it's like, just as an actor, you're just never done. It's like, as soon as you leave a show you're, and you then find you find 90 other it, things that you'd ex- like to add in. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the role that sort of has made you uh, Instagram famous and <laughs> also like uh. teenage girls and many boys um, around the world <laughs> sort of falling in love with you, which is playing Katie Heron and Mean Girls, mm-hmm. which kind of almost didn't happen. Are we allowed to talk about that? Oh my God. I love talking about it. It's my favorite thing. So tell us how that almost didn't happen. <laughs> Not to bring in sound and music once again, but when, what is the saying? It's like when God closes a door, he opens a window. That's the one. I know they say that in MAME, but I don't know. <laughs> they also <laughs> Okay. Scratch that. This is a MAME. This is a MAME story. Dear God. Everyone just um, like turned off their <laughs> And now they're going to go listen to MAME. <laughs> um what happened? Yes, I auditioned for. I like. I like telling a story because of two reasons. One was that I was certain I was going to be Anna in Frozen on Broadway. I was like, "That is me. I am she. It will be me." And I got very, very close um, in the audition process. Uh, like I remember, this is also what's so crazy because Casey Levy was who I replaced in Les Mis. At my final audition for Frozen, they had us do it on a theater because on a the- theatrical stage because they're British and do those things. And, um, or Michael was, and they brought Casey out. They knew she was going to be Elsa and they had Casey sing with the Annas. And it was just like insane to be looking at her. I was like, you are my older, like I, like it was just such a weird, crazy moment. And obviously that was not the show that ended up being the, the, the thing for me. And, um, as soon as Mean Girls did work out, it it was just so clear why. So I just shared that story because it's like, you just don't know what is for you. And I Mm -hmm. promise if it is for you, it, it won't pass you by. Um, so when Mean Girls came along, I was so bummed because I was like, I don't know about this. I felt like Frozen was my bag. I thought that was going to be the thing. And I went in for Mean Girls and ended up getting really excited about it because the team was so amazing and the music was really funky and cool. And it was kind of stuff I hadn't heard before. And for the lab production, when the lab is essentially um, a version that you do in a studio in New York, usually that has limited band, but fully blocked and realized in the sense that full production numbers, everything is as close as it could be without a set and costumes and lighting. And the lab cast is oftentimes close to who they might end up bringing to do it out of town and then ultimately on Broadway. So it's a big deal to audition for the lab. And I got down to me and one other uh, wonderful actress and I didn't get it. And that moment when getting really close again, this all happened within the same month, was kind of like... It did not, we get rejected all the time. It did not break me, but it, in any way, but it did make me just think like, well, what am I doing wrong? Like I must be doing something wrong because how can I keep getting so close for things that I feel like I'm really right for and not getting it? And then I put it out of my mind for three months. They did the lab and then they called me back in for the out of town tryout and Usually what that means is just whatever puzzle they had created in the lab, it they needed a new puzzle. They were like, we need to rearrange the pieces. Something is just, 
it's not fitting together. It's not because things aren't working. It's just, it's not fitting But does that together. make you think like, well, you didn't want me the last time. Why would you want me this time? Yeah, exactly. And I think that is honestly the reason I ended up doing okay in those auditions and, and getting it because I'd already been rejected once. I'd already lost it and like put these people and this project out of my mind because that's the only thing you can do when you get rejected from something you really wanted. And so when I went back in, I just thought I have nothing to lose. I have literally nothing to lose. I've already lost it. So let me just go in. And instead of trying to be the girl, because they've seen me do this so many times, I'm just going to be me. Cause I don't even, they don't know what the girl is. That's why I'm back again. They don't know what they want. So all I have to do is just figure out, well, how am I, how would I tell this story? And that was the biggest shift because that's the difference between even how I auditioned for Les Mis, which was I had an idea of what Fontaine should be. So I did that. I had an idea of what I thought Katie should be in round one. So I did that. And it wasn't until I got brought back for round two that I thought nobody knows what this should be because they already saw me do it and they didn't want it. And now they're having me back. So it's like, clearly nobody knows. So you just have to do what feels authentic to you. Um, and, and it I, worked out and, and they, it worked out and they and cast I, you and they cast me. And I swear it's like, it's, it's those moments where you kind of relinquish control or trying to like do it right is when anything happens. Um, I obviously think, I'm working on that, but <laughs> creating a new musical feels like it might be the most stressful thing <sighs> in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you sort of deal with the, the process of the changes and figuring mm-hmm. out who this character was and getting information from so many different departments about who Katie Heron is and how do you meet her? How do you meet that in the middle? Um, I think, I think it was like the constant battle. It was like every day of rehearsal was trying to figure out <laughs> if you're getting one note from, um, from, from Tina and then another note from Casey, it's, it wasn't that they were in conflict with one another. It's that they're, they're shaping the story in different ways. Casey was shaping it really visually and Tina's a writer. She sees the words on, on the page. And so it's trying to figure out how do I, how do I, my job is to help these people bring their vision to life. And then to also have my own, my own, uh, stamp on it. And, um, in terms of the changes, I think something, I don't know if my brain will ever be able to do it again, but I think something just happened where I was like, my only, all my focus was on that. Like there was no, and I think that's also what allowed me to not get overwhelmed is because there was so much to think about. I never worried about, um, there wasn't room to second guess things. You just had to do it. Yeah. And I think that is kind of a a joy of creating something new, especially if you're a part that's kind of at the epicenter of the story where it's like, there's so much that's changing around you. You don't have time to second guess yourself. You just have to jump in. My only negative thing to say about that is that sometimes it's happening so fast. You don't realize, uh, because you're so deep inside it, you don't always realize like, oh, wait a second. If we lose this bit, then we're losing this. And that's something that like, you just, you just don't know until you're, you get on top of it. And that doesn't really happen until you've been doing it for like a month or so. (laughs) So the role of Katie was like very enormous. I mean, it's the equivalent to Jean Valjean, but it's just in a very like sort (laughs) of pink show about high school kids. So I feel like there's not enough credit for the amount of work that you had to do every night in that show. I think Mm -hmm. that there's something like, oh, it's fun. It's pink. It's light. It's a high school, it's high school juniors. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's It's not that, but physically, 
physically and mentally, emotionally, vocally, it's yeah. the same amount of stamina it would take to, you know, do a Carolina change. Like it honestly is like, it is like a marathon. And I don't think you got enough credit for that. And I don't know if you felt that, or I don't know how, how do you go to work every day being like, this is a marathon and nobody knows it, but and me. nobody knows. <laughs> um, I appreciate you saying that. I think the thing that made me feel that, that, cause those thoughts fully entered my mind. It's like, I, my job was to make it look easy. It's like, nobody wants to go to a Broadway show and be like, Ooh, that girl's working because then you're watching that. So it's like, I knew, I was like, I knew I eventually figured out. I was like, Oh, nobody knows how hard I'm working because I'm making it look easy. And that's the point. And that means I'm succeeding, but it meant something to me when people from our industry, people like you, um, a teacher who came, um, Alex Gemignani, who was the person who had cast me in that, Les Mis in college, people who said like, you know, keep trust, trust that it's not going unnoticed. And the fact that it, the fact that it's, that people maybe don't know means that you are doing a good job. And, and for me, that's the thing that like, people know Broadway's hard, but I, I never wanted I think at a certain point, my responsibility to the show superseded my desire to be acknowledged for it. it. And I thought that was like, and it's what I miss the most about Mean Girls and performing in general in that capacity. It's I don't miss the accolade or the affirmation, though, of course, we all like that part if you're an actor. But I do miss the responsibility of being the, the lead, not because I like being the person who's like first on the call sheet, but because carrying that show, that responsibility, I enjoyed it. And I liked filling that role for my cast and for my backstage team and my stage managers. Um, it was something that ultimately I did not care if people didn't notice because I felt so fulfilled in that position, not because of the, the affirmation from the mm -hmm. audience, but because of the responsibility to my cast. Felt well, it like sort of is thing. like being a CEO of a company. It's it, like how it, it's exactly you what set it was. the tone of what's yes. going on in the building because, yes. you know, and I had a friend that was in Little Night Music and she's like, if Angela Lansbury can come to work and be in a great mood and like, I can miss a show, so can I, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. And it's, it's such that, a, yeah. it's the best thing. It's why I'm like, I, I loved it's so true. It's like getting to set the tone and being uh, Tina on our first day of rehearsal. And I think it like stuck in my head somewhere. She said, the fish rots from the head. It's like an old, I think it's a Greek saying. I say it Greek. literally all the time. You say it all the time. <laughs> yes. And I remember hearing that and I was like, I was brand new. These people had already been in the lab together. So I was the new kid. I was like the full Katie Heron. And I remember hearing that and thinking like, you cannot be afraid. You cannot you know, hold back is like, you have to lead because if you don't set the tone, then this thing is going to fall apart at the seams because there's too many personalities. There's too many, there's too many first, there's too many first Broadway debuts, first big moments of press and excitement. It's like, if that overrides our job to bring this train home every night, and I'm the person who does that, then this is going to be a cluster <laughs> Deep. Um, also, I mean, you did incredible work in that show and I'm so grateful for Mean Girls because we only, 
you know, probably workshop, we get a show every decade that is every theater kids obsessed with. And uh, it's so good for business. It's so good for morale. It's so good for I love that. opportunity. And so Mean Girls was so that, and I think that was so much had to do with your, mm. what that exactly what you just said, setting that tone. And you mm. could feel that spirit when you were watching the show. And I, it truly was a party. And I had the best Such time. Party. I saw Mean Girls more than probably anyone <laughs> because I was go- doing all these events at the workshop. And also yes. it's fun to see you on Broadway. Um, you also <laughs> kind of met and fell in love with your future husband, Kyle Seelig, yes, during that process. So if nothing else good came from Mean Girls, that <laughs> is um, a, exactly. a, a very good thing. Exactly. And, um, I just watched a YouTube of your final I See Stars. Which, Why? Oh my God. I like. Have you watched it? <laughs> I watched it once, like ages ago. It's really special because you are the most wonderful human and you can feel it radiating from you <laughs> as you say thank you to all of these people. Yeah. Thank you for this last three years. Thank you for allowing me to do this. It was never like, I'm amazing. It was so, it yes. was so thank you. And it's to sing those, sing the lyrics of that song mm-hmm. to those people to close out this experience, which I know because I was around was pretty magical for you for the most part. Yeah. And um, it just was really like, it's, it's a nice thing that supersedes it's not about your last show. It's, it's not about, about thank you for this last three years. I'm happy it comes off that way because I remember being really mad that I was crying because I was like, I don't want people to think that I'm crying for me or that I'm like, it. Uh, it I'm happy it comes off that way because that is what I remember feeling. It's just like, it's so rare for a lead of a show to get to end her show by talking to her entire cast. Yeah. Like it just, it just doesn't happen. Normally you're talking to the audience and I get to, in that one moment, my other finally becomes, instead of this nebulous thing out in the darkness of the theater, it becomes these people I'm on stage with. And I remember thinking like, that's so special that I get to like say thank you to these people because they're, they're the ones who mattered. Obviously I was so grateful for our audience, but like, um, that was like an overwhelming moment in the best way because it, it was about that. It was like saying goodbye to the team was what it was, I was very, it's very cool. Most. I'm glad it exists. <laughs> I know that we don't, we don't love the YouTubing, but I, I'm it's glad nice. it exists too. When you're like I've 80 years here. old at the or nursing <laughs> exactly. home, you can be like, look at me here. Um, I really do feel that. I was like, think, and also it's like great footage. It looks like the person's <laughs> on stage with us. I literally was like, did Renee Rapp bring her phone on stage and film this? <laughs> <laughs> it is sort of crazy. I get, I've seen, some stuff that I'm like, is this filmed for television? It's so gorgeous. All right, we have we have to wrap up, but we, I want to talk about Girls Five Eva, which okay. I honestly was like such a like a romp for me. I thought it was so fun. <laughs> That's and the best word, a romp. It's it is a, a romp. romp. So you play young Gloria, which is Paula Pell's character Dreams. as mm-hmm. a younger performer um mm-hmm. as part of this like 90s girl group called girls five eva yes. and sarah Bareilles is the star of the show and isn't tina the executive producer or a producer? yes executive producer and then so it's a um, good thing you weren't a bitch at mean girls because it has really paid off for you yes be nice to everybody be nice to everybody yeah tell me about uh sort of working on that show and i know filming during covid is a nightmare but um yeah it's uh, it's very, it's so cool, like to be part of this all girl TV hilariousness. Oh, it's the best! I'm so grateful that like the two really big projects, like my Broadway original, was like in a cast that had six leading women, and then my TV debut was in a cast of like it's it's women. It's like amazing, and the women who are like the best at what they do. It's like to have Sarah Bareilles and then Renee and then Busy and then Paula. You just like add it all up. You're like these are people who the thing that they do, they're the best at it. Um, 
So that was really fun. And an amazing like learning experience for a medium that you don't know inside and out. Yeah. A medium that I don't know inside and out and with people who were also sort of learning. It's like Sarah, I loved watching Sarah because she's a great- everyone, just in case you don't know who we're talking about. But she's a great example of somebody who like leads from, like if she's at the top, that fish is not going to rot because she just leads with like such kindness. But also she was like, it was cool to watch her- take ownership of this new space. Obviously she's like sold out concert halls for years, but it's like to be the lead of a TV sitcom thing was a new experience. So I I learned a ton just from watching those leading women, people like Paula who have been doing it for years. She knew how to support the scene. If the scene was not about her, she was like the greatest scene partner. But then when she did have something, it was like, she knew exactly how to be in the pocket and to just sort of trust the writing and herself because the writing was so funny. Um, but Did I you loved have it. conversations with Paula about how to create this character? Because well, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. It's so funny, and this is the other news of like I didn't understand this about television. Um, when you create a show from the from the ground up with a musical theater cast, you guys are there all day, every day. You're called from nine to six, ten to six, so you see it happening. Paula and I were very rarely. Uh, never on screen together because of the time difference. The Because you play her at like yes. 18 or 19. Yeah. Exactly. And um, so we were never, it's like beyond the first day where I like, I was kind of afraid to talk to anybody. We didn't, beyond just saying hi, I watched some videos of Paula. Um, but at a certain point, I remember being like, well, I actually have no idea. I was like, that's Paula. I have no idea what she's doing with this character. And I would go on to set and just sort of like, try my best and they would give notes and then I would take the notes. And I remember thinking like, I have no idea if there's any connection between the two of us. I have no idea. I feel like I, I, I'm not seeing dailies of Paula. I'm never called to set the same day she is. So I have no clue if this is reading and then seeing it come together. There's like one specific moment. Paula has a line where she goes like, I know this feeling it's joy. And like, she like does this little like kick and like says it's joy. And I was like, Oh my God, I, that is, that is how I behave. So like, it was this weird moment where you don't always know in TV because when you're the actor, you're not getting the full picture. You're only getting the picture for that day. But it made me realize like, oh, of course I was in the best hands of people like Meredith and Tina. Um, They were not going to lead me astray. So when I, when they said, that's it, that's the take, it made me realize like, oh, they knew what they were doing. They knew that the thread was being connected. Even though for me, I was like, I'm acting in a tunnel. I have no concept of this works. What can you tell us about season two? Anything? Really nothing. Just that we have one. I I just, that's all I know. (laughs) Well, I love that you're on television. It makes me so happy. Even if we lose you from Broadway for a minute, we'll we'll get you back soon. Um, We have to do obsessed quick fire questions. And, but I have to quickly talk about what a brilliant teacher you are because that is how we sort of know each other. And you're such an amazing communicator of how to do this thing because you've been Mm -hmm. doing it and figuring it out. And I'm just so thankful that you've taught so much at Broadway Workshop. And I'm so grateful (gasps) for all the teachers who taught you because you really have passed it on in the best way possible. And uh, I'm sure, I mean, it seems like you really love to do it. So I'm so grateful. And I'm very grateful that we met all those years ago because you are uh, like, it's a true friendship. (laughs) I got to give you 
like five stars for your social activism. You have this amazing platform (laughs) because of Mean Girls and Mm -hmm. you have used it, I think, in the best way possible, which was really to share what you believe is true and, uh, you know, educate young people about ways that they can be just better humans on earth. And so, yes, thank you for that, Erica Henningsen. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, It is my, it is a a privilege to have people who care about what I say. If so you're I'm- not following Erica, <laughs> pause this, follow her, and start it up because we're about to do Obsessed and Quickfire. So, Erica Henningsen, what are you obsessed with right now? The White Lotus. So good. Oh my God, on HBO. I'm obsessed with The White Lotus on HBO. Period. I Did just, you, fin- you finished, it, right? I finished it. And then yesterday this there was a hurricane. This won't be out the we second were- week of September, so everyone has finished it by now. But it's <gasps> yes. um, it's so great. It's so good. There was a hurricane yesterday, or hurricane in air quotes. And, hurricane um, <laughs> yesterday, which is in August. Go ahead. In August. Uh, and I used that day to rewatch it again. You watched it, it again? I watched it again because it's that good. Okay. To me, I'm watching it right now because I want to watch more Mike White oh, things. Oh, yeah. So, we're like, I feel like you and Mike White would be well, amazing collaborators. Yeah, Chuck and Buck. I used to love that movie, which is his <gasps> first big movie, which you should check out. It's so weird. Um, okay. My obsession this week is a podcast I listened to a couple weeks ago called The Los Feliz Murder Mansion. And <gasps> it's about the, the history of this house where a family was tragically murdered by the father of the family. But um, the history of the house is really quite fascinating before him, Ooh. after him. And it's been sort of empty for the last like 50 years. And this girl does an incredible job doing a deep dive. So Los Feliz Murder Mansion podcast. Check it out where you listen to podcasts. Okay, here we go. The Broadway Workshop quick fire questions. Oh boy. These are questions that have been put together for you and you really should just don't overthink it. Just go with it. And uh, I think you'll have fun. First audition song. Wouldn't it be loverly? First Broadway show you saw. Uh, 42nd Street. Something that you turned down that you have second thoughts about. The Sound of Music National Tour. (laughs) Fill in the blank. Tina Fey is? The bomb. Strangest stage door interaction. Strangest. um, Or maybe most memorable. I'll take anything. Most memorable. Uh, A a mother and daughter told me that they became friends through Mean Girls, through listening to our songs. And I thought that was really cute. And also I'm sure someone gave you something strange, like a strange gift at some point. Somebody gave me like their hair in like, yeah. That's strange, Erica. Um, (laughs) Artists you would like to work with, but you haven't. Oh, uh, Phoebe (laughs) Waller-Bridge. What, right? Um, what <laughs> revival on Broadway would you like to star in? You could pick anything. Um, I I want to be in The Light in the Piazza, and I need Kelly O'Hara to age so she can play that Ooh. part and I can play. But she's ageless. She looks like she she's 35 still. <laughs> okay. Um, one thing in Mean Girls you wish did not get cut? Uh, the scene with Aaron, t- uh, bottom of act one, in his basement studying for math. It was a really beautiful reprise of Super With Love, gorgeous harmonies and like a tender moment, but it really brought the house down. So tender. (laughs) Um, Were you ever in Annie? No. Um, (laughs) Go to album for a car trip. Um, Go to album for a car, Haim, Haim's new album, Women in Business. Great. Um, (laughs) Erica, are you stupid with love? (laughs) <laughs> yes. What is your problem with the musical romance romance? 
what's not my problem with the musical right, romance right. romance? <laughs> Tell us one thing about working with Tyne Daly, which you did in <gasps> Dear World at the York Theater. Legend, legend. If she can be who she is and and be in the basement of the York Theater and giving it to like, sometimes we had an audience of like 25. I was like, I can do it. Like if Tyne can do it, anybody can do anything and not complain about it. So people that. who complain about being in the theater world, like Tyne's a gem. She never <laughs> Can you name one song in the musical Pipe Dream? Yes. Um, uh, everybody's got a home but me. I knew you could. Um, okay, who's your number one favorite Broadway leading man and you can't say Kyle? Oh, um, Brian Darcy James. Okay. I want blank movie to be a musical. Oh, I want... Uh, um, yeah, well, this is my dream. I want um, um, the baseball movie with the women. I want... Um, Leave their own. A League of Their Own to be a musical and I want to be Kit. Yes. And that's going to happen and I'm going to win... I told okay. you for doing it. So All it's right. happening now. What <laughs> mean girl should Patty Lapone play? Like if age didn't matter. Oh, she has to be Regina George. Yes. Oh my God, she'd be so good. Can you name two real housewives? I can name one because okay. Kyle just did a movie with her. Kyle Chandler. Wait, no, that's the guy from <laughs> Kyle Chandler's the guy from Friday Night Lights. So wait. Kyle Richards. <laughs> he's in a movie with Kyle Richards. He's in a movie with Kyle Richards. Oh my god! I I'm, you heard it I'm here texting first. him immediately. Okay, <laughs> um, that's amazing. Wait, I have to tell the Patty Lapone story. All later. right, quick. Okay. Do you have time? Where? Oh, wait. Are you telling me yes, now? Or you're I'm telling you now. <laughs> Patty Lapone came to our stage door. She came to see Mean Girls. Yes, it was like dreams. She, it was Patty. Yeah, because it was during company was going up. She came to see Mean Girls, and she obviously didn't come backstage afterwards because she was like, "I'm going home." It's time for bed. And she came to the stage door and asked for a stage manager and said, like. I didn't come backstage last night so it was just going to be too much. But I wanted you to know, to tell those girls, it was so cool seeing six women standing in their power at the edge of the stage on Broadway. She was like, I've never seen that before. It's also like the greatest story. And I don't know if like anybody ever said that to like Tina or Casey. I hope they did. Because it was like, Patty talks to our stage manager. Oh my God, I love it. To so like pass much. on that message. It's so old school and I love it. Okay, what TV sitcom would you, family would you want to be part of? Um, I think... Think Modern Family. No, no, no. I want to be part of the Gellers. I want to be the part of the Gellers and Friends. Um, who is your favorite Muppet? Kermit. Least favorite Les Mis song? Um, the the one in the sewers. Yes. That, that oh. Tenardier sings. Terrifying. Does Fontaine Bullet Boy have a name? Like, does that character that she plays in Act <laughs> 2 have a name? No, I did. I mean, I'm sure some Fontaine made a name. I did not. I was like, like this I'm is Gerald. Um, I'm Gerald and I'm here to fought the barricade. And with my British accent in France. Okay. If you can go back in time and see any Broadway show, what would it be? Um, I want to see. Oh, oh, I want to see the carousel that um Audra McDonald oh, or Audrey yeah, McDonald played Gary Pippridge. Mm -hmm. um, are you a fan of true crime? If so, what case would you want to have solved? Oh, I am a, I am a fan of true crime, and I really want that staircase thing to be figured out. Oh, okay. Is that it? Is it the staircase? Yeah, staircase. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's creepy. Totally creepy. I mean, yeah. he pushed her down a flight of stairs. He fully uh, did. I mean, He yes, fully did. He hit her with a fire poke and pushed her down. A, okay, that's- So we solved it. We <laughs> solved it. podcast over. Um, okay. Um, how do you feel about Invisalign? No comment. Okay. Um, one word. You're not going to like this one. One word to describe Cameron Dallas. 
Nice boy. Nice boy. <laughs> Who makes you starstruck? Um, uh, I mean, John Mulaney made me starstruck yeah. when I met him. I like had a whole thing prepared to say and I bombed all of it. <laughs> um, have you ever seen a ghost? I, I've felt a ghost. Have you ever seen a musical ghost? <laughs> I have not seen the musical ghost. I'll just um, find Casey Levy. This is a Casey Levy podcast. Yes. Um, what musical would you be okay with never seeing again? It's not a mean thing. You're just like, I've had enough of it. I've had enough. The band visit. Okay. Um, what musical <laughs> would you like to see me in? <laughs> the band's visit. <laughs> Actually, you'd be so good. I want you to do the roller skating number. I would see the band's visit again okay. for you to be in the roller skating number. <laughs> Have you ever left a show at intermission? Um, yes, I left a production of Oklahoma. You don't have Oklahoma. to tell us what it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like a regional production of Oklahoma okay. and it was bad. Great. <laughs> you um, don't have to tell us what it is. <laughs> what, I mean, like, everybody's always like, do I have to tell you what it is? Um, <laughs> what movie can you watch over and over again? Um, uh, honestly, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. <laughs> Let's make that a musical. <gasps> that would be so good. Um, what advice do you have for young performers? Last question. Oh, it's okay to have role models, but stop YouTubing them to figure out how you should do a song. <laughs> I love it. Erica Anderson, you are a flippin' delight. This is so much fun. You are a flippin' delight. You are okay. the most flippin' of delights. Okay. Uh, tell the people where they can follow you. I'm sure they already know. <laughs> oh, um, well, I deleted, I only have Instagram, so I, okay. I I didn't delete Instagram. You can follow me. It's Erica Henningsen, E-R-I-K-A-H-E-N-N-I-N-G-S-E-N. Um, and that's it. I'm not on TikTok or Twitter because I spend too much time on my phone already. <laughs> well, we're all going to follow you. Follow you. I don't even speak English. Follow Everybody me. follow Erica on Instagram. And are we looking for a dog? Bark, what's happening? Right. Oh, look at her. She got the squeaky toy out. Also, we don't have a couch right now. We're getting a new couch, so we just have chairs. Okay, just there's like five no chairs. video component to this. So oh, no there's one no video. This I already mentioned that. Um Cut all of this. No, I'm keeping it. It's so good. Um, Erica, I love you. Thank you for doing the little me podcast. We I can't wait to see you at table and stage. Um, yeah. in just like a week from the time you're listening to this. And oh thank God, you everyone fine. for tuning in or listening in today. And remember, you can go and subscribe to the Little Me podcast, write a review if you enjoyed today's interview. I'll be being, I'll be, be I'll be back I'll be next be. week with an all new episode. <gasps> and uh, I, um, I don't know if I can say at this okay. point, because I don't, I like to record before yes. I announce who's coming up next. Got it, got but it. Thank you for listening. I'm obsessed with all you. Follow me at Mark Tuminelli on Instagram and follow us at Little Me Podcast. Also on Instagram, I'm obsessed with everybody. Thank you for another great week. Wow. Fre <laughs> French kiss. <laughs> French kiss. <laughs> French kiss. <laughs> Chef's kiss. Bye. Chef Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at That Tuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 